hey everyone. Welcome to episode 240 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by William McIntosh, a landscape photographer and choral music professor at Mount San Antonio College in Southern California. William and I have been exchanging long and thoughtful emails for several years, and I finally decided it would be much more fun to debate ideas publicly on the podcast instead of via email, so I invited him to join me. I'm so glad he agreed. On this week's episode, we discussed so many awesome topics, including how photography became an outlet for William after losing his wife to cancer, the differences between absolute art and programmatic art, is landscape photography art, and when is it art, and so, so much, much more. Before we dive into the episode, I want to remind you to check out Michael Torkeldson's book over on Kickstarter. It's called A Photographer's Guide to Composition, Unlock the Hidden Language of Photography, and Create Images with Impact. Michael's book will open up a world of photographic opportunities for you with his intuitive approach to composition. I think it's a really great resource for photographers of all levels, especially if you've been struggling lately or you want to take your photography to the next level. Head over to beautythatsurroundsyou.com or find a link in the show notes to learn more. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, William McIntosh, it's so awesome to have you here, man. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's an honor for me to to be on here. I've been listening to you from almost the beginning. I think episode three was the first time I started listening, and then it's, I'm sorry, <laughs> you've you've kept me going on all these long drives. So it's uh, I'm I'm very uh, very grateful for all your hard work. So it's uh, it's good it's good to be here. Yeah, no no, no worries there. I uh, I have to laugh because um, what listeners don't know is that. You currently hold the record for the longest email ever sent to me about the podcast <laughs> episode and the second longest email, and I believe probably the third longest as well. Because so I and I, and I say that half jokingly, but right, right. Um, I actually really appreciate um, your engagement and your enthusiasm and your passion for, for these topics that we talk about every week. So that's why when the last time you reached out to me, I was like, man, let's just get you on the show so we can just talk about it so right yeah yeah well i appreciate yeah, so, you having me on yeah so i'm really hoping that that your your verbal discourse is as engaging as your written discourse <laughs> <laughs> i hope so too yeah so for so for people that uh that aren't familiar with you and your photography um tell us a little bit about yourself and i would love to hear about uh how you found yourself in photography to begin with Sure. I'm a full-time choral music professor at Mount San Antonio College, where I direct three vocal ensembles, and I'm also currently teaching four sections of history of jazz. And I'm really excited because this year I'm going to be retiring in June after 23 years at the college and another 13 years of teaching high school before that, uh, after getting my master's degree and moving to the college level. So I'm really excited, especially about this year and uh, looking forward to June because that's when I'm going to go full time and I'm going out a little bit early. I could make um, some more cash if I stayed longer at the college and I, I'm getting a lot of, you know, uh, crazy looks from my peers and they think I'm crazy for leaving so early, but I, I can't wait to get out there and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. So in terms of photography, I'm just a hobbyist who started shooting landscapes right out of high school in 1980 with a Canon AE-1. 
Um, but I wasn't processing my own shots. I drive from my home up in the San Bernardino Mountains near Big Bear here in Southern California. I just dropped my, off my film at Photomat. And when I say mountains in California, that's, you know, they're mountains to us. So for you people in Colorado, <laughs> I think our, our largest is like 11.5. I think that's like our tallest peak here in the, in the San Bernardino Mountains. But um, that's where I grew up. And uh, so just uh, right out of college, I had this camera. I started shooting landscapes. Um, I went off to college and then I kind of switched to shooting everything. I was really interested in photography. Um, I became the main photographer the, for the Biola University Corral when we were out doing stuff. And I was in charge of the slideshow at the end of the year. And when I graduated and got married, I switched over to video, especially once we had kids. It was all about video. And then, you know, my camera just started gathering dust. Um, in 2006, I got a Nikon D60 and uh, began to explore photography again. Uh, my wife was getting ill at this point, and I would take photos on our trips together. And um, she passed away in 2007 from a very rare form of cancer called adenoid cystic carcinoma, which is a salivary gland cancer that showed up on her sacrum. Um, and the doctors literally gave her, you know, three years to live in the fall of 1999. But we found a surgeon who was pretty adventurous, and he debulked the tumor, and she was with us for eight years um, wow. after that diagnosis. But in 2007, she passed away. My daughter was 13. My middle son was 11. My youngest was eight. And so that was pretty rough. And, and we had some yeah. uh, rough years following. So I would typically have Fridays off at the college. I wouldn't teach on Friday. So after losing my wife, I could either stay at home and just stare at the wall um, or I could find something to do. So I got into photography again. And the best place to shoot, and this is going to sound maybe a little crazy, um, here in Orange County is Disneyland. <laughs> so I met I met a group of photographers and we met at Disneyland and we would just start shooting the parks and we had a blast for, you know, three or four years. We shot everything. And, um, you know, by the gosh, after three or four years, uh, there's a couple of us that were hired by Disney as freelancers. They wanted us to work on a project and they saw what we were doing online and. So uh, we got passes and we got to go backstage and, uh, and that was living the dream. You know, it's like uh, we were having a great time. And my favorite things to shoot at the park would be like fireworks, um, empty park. You'd wait till one o'clock in the morning and the park is empty and you're shooting Main Street. And, uh, and it was, we were hardcore. It was, it was really a lot of fun. But that's where I picked up most of what I knew about photography was from my friends. And they were much more advanced than I was uh, yeah. at that point. So in 2011, uh, a group of my Disney buddies and I went up to Yosemite for the first time and had a blast. And then from there, we started going to other national parks together. And by the time we ended up shooting in Glacier and in the Canadian Rockies, I was hooked. And then right around the same time, I started, uh, I found 500px <laughs> for oh, the first yeah. time and my head exploded. I mean... I'm looking at shots by Ryan Dyer and Mark Adamus and Ted Gore and Alex Noriega. And I'm just, I'm thinking, how, how do I get to do that? Right. So um, after my kids grew and got to be a little bit older, uh, I started making longer and longer trips. And by the time they were in college, you know, I was off to Europe and taking, you know, longer trips and they were going to be fine on their own at that point. And um, that's where I am now, just waiting to, to go full time with this, hopefully in uh, June, June of this year. Amazing. 
Well, I, thank you for sharing that story about, you know, your, your wife and your kids. And, you know, that, that must have been a really tough time for you. And I'm guessing that, uh, that engaging in, in landscape photography was, was somewhat of an uh, escape for you. Yeah, definitely. And um, even to go to Disneyland and be around all these other happy people and with my kids were, you know, in school, I'm just hanging out with these photography guys and we're talking shop and it was just a way to, to just get my brain somewhere else being that close to it. And then the more time that went by, um, I just got more and more into uh, the landscapes. And uh, yeah, when I get out there now, it is, it's, it's just, it's a very, it's a very healing thing for me to be out there with my camera. So I, I know we're going to go really deep into some of these issues, um, but I, I think this is a really good foundation for our conversation because I have a I have a feeling that that kind of entrance into photography for you is kind of at the core of some of what motivates you as a photographer when you're going out into the field and, and what your experiences are about and what you're hoping to get out of being a photographer when you're when you're seeking out the images that you create yeah yeah i think so that and then um the other side of this that we could get into as well is just i live in one of the ugliest parts of the country like for <laughs> landscape <laughs> photography and i just think I, I would use the term fugly i mean if here in southern california it's just it's suburbia it's it's asphalt it's power lines it's brown hills and we'll go literally months without seeing a cloud. I mean, it's either low clouds that burn off into haze. And, you know, I think there's been some years where we've gotten maybe two inches of rain for the whole season. And it's rough because um, the other part of that is, is I'm a, I'm a weather junkie. I love, I love storms. I live for, I mean, you should have seen us. We had, I don't know if you were watching Monday night football when the chargers were playing and that electric storm shut down the stadium uh, last month. Okay. When does that happen? It's Southern California and they had a delay because there's a lightning storm. And my kids and I are just standing out in front of our house, just waiting to get hit <laughs> by lightning because we, we just never get that here. We're so thrilled anytime we get a storm like that. And um, I've been like that since I was a kid. So uh, yeah. that's, that's the other part. I think that kind of drives me. So, yeah, well, I think uh, I think I have some questions that'll probably help build upon that foundation that you so eloquently laid down there. So you know, let's let's just dive right in. Okay. Um, you know, we've had a lot of discussions over email sure. about the differences <laughs> between uh, absolute art and programmatic art. Right. And I'm really curious from your perspective, like what what are the difference between differences between those two definitions? Um, when it comes to landscape photography. Sure. And in teaching music, I, I this is going back a few years when I taught uh, music appreciation, but we would talk about the difference between program, programmatic music and absolute music. And programmatic music is music that has a secondary purpose to it. It's There's a storytelling element. Um, uh, the best example now would be the music that's for film. Um, when you hear a film score, it, it's meant to lead you to feeling, you know, sad or happy or adventurous. Um, and, you know, back in the Baroque period, it, um, you know, the music of a Vivaldi, you, you would hear the birds in, in uh, if it's about spring. There's different compositions that would sound like nature or it would sound like certain things. It was meant to draw you into a, a certain direction. 
by hearing the music. Absolutely. And like, apparently, uh, Pink Floyd's "The Wall" is kind of like a like a like a melodrama or something like that. Sure. Yeah. 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 And it just I mean it just sets them anytime that you're listening to music and it's setting the mood and it's drawing you not so much to the music but something else that might be yeah. going on at the same time. That's right. that's more programmatic. And absolute the example I would give would be Mozart. If you're listening to something by Mozart, you're listening to a theme and that theme is, you know, the composer will do something really amazing with that theme, but it's all about the composition itself. You're just listening to the music and being drawn into that. Uh-huh. So when you compare that to photography, I think the example I gave you was like Guy Tall and Sarah Marino are absolute. Like those compositions are about the composition itself. It's not about anything else. It's not as there's no, there's usually no storytelling element to intimates and abstracts that they're posting. It's what are you, and I think that's what Guy Tall was after. What are you getting out of that photo when you look at it? It's up to the viewer. Hmm. That seems to be his motivation. But if you look at something by Mark Metternich or um, Mark Adamus, where these people are out there chase, literally chasing the light and trying to find something dramatic that's going on with the landscape, um, those tend to be photos that draw you in, but there's something going on in the, in the photo. There's a storytelling element to the photo or um, there's something dramatic happening, whether it's the light, whether you know it's, it's Ryan Dyer and it's the goat walking out of the frame is the most fantastic light you've ever seen and when you look at it there's there's some there's no doubt that something's going on in that frame it's about what's going on in the photo rather than just the composition itself right there's all these atmospherics at play right exactly Uh so i think that's an important distinction and one that i had to make when i was trying to figure out what kind of a photographer am i going to you know be in five years or ten years and where do i see myself going and I really felt myself being drawn more to that programmatic side where I just, I'm chasing light all the time and I'm chasing weather all the time. And, um, and those are things that I'm literally seeking to try and be part of my photos. If it's, if it's bluebird, I just, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to go out and shoot you. Right. It's like, it's, 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 it might be interesting, but my motivation is really, you know, grounded in trying to, to get that atmosphere when I can find it. Yeah. It's interesting. Because I can't speak for Guy Tal, although I've had several conversations with him here on the podcast, but I do know Sarah Marino fairly well. And I'm guessing if I were to channel her for a second, that she would make an argument that some of those absolute compositions that you're describing actually do tell a story, at least from her perspective. But Mm. um, maybe the story is a more subtle story or it's not as... um, you know, traumatic in terms of its impact. Right. So there's probably like different shades and combinations of, right. It's not like everything just falls neatly into either side, but, <laughs> but just for Sarah Marino, I, the one quote that jumped out, cause I've listened to a lot of these podcasts. <laughs> so right. One of the things that jumps out about Sarah is I remember her saying something along the lines of, it doesn't matter if the weather is there or not. You know, she's she's going to come out with something really interesting and she's going to go out shooting and she's going to come back with a composition. She does. She comes back with these amazing photos. And um, but then when you look at her photos, I think it's less it's less um, dependent on, you know, of course, because you just said that it's not gonna, you're not going to be looking at weather and the most incredible light ever. I think she's really out there to 
to when you start describing her photos or intimates and, and abstracts, it's more about the shape and the contour and the colors and the way that those things interact. Right. And then you you get to talk about the composition. What you're admiring is the composition itself. Like what right. an amazing composition as compared yeah. to, you know, look at that goat that's walking out of, <laughs> yeah, and walking it's out of hidden lake. Uh, it's interesting. Cause uh, I remember my first, I think it was my very first day out shooting uh, fall colors in 2018 I, I linked up with Sarah and Ron and Alex Noriega and David Kingham and Jennifer Renwick, and we all went out to make images together in Red Mountain Pass mm. uh, near Uray, Colorado. And the conditions were amazing. Like there was a storm that had passed through and the light wow. was just incredible. And, you know, I was like running around like, like, like a crazy person because I was so excited with, you know, all the clouds were changing colors and stuff. And yeah. And then, of course, we all came back and we were looking at each other's photos. And, and Sarah and Ron had these, like, really intimate, like, close-ups of aspen leaves with, like, atmospheric clouds blurred out behind them. And then, of course, I had these, like, massive, grand scenic, like, 21-millimeter <laughs> images of these right, mountain right. peaks and the clouds and the verga and everything else. But um, I can appreciate both approaches because um, sure. I think they both have <clears throat> value – and I, I personally think both can tell a story, sure. but I think I think there's a lot to unpackage with what we're talking about here in terms of motivation right. uh, for the photographer, but also like at least speaking for myself, kind of like the origin of how we how we have formulated these approaches as photographers, right? Because everyone knows this by now, but like my my background in photography is all about you know climbing peaks and getting these insane views and. Right. That, um, but through like getting just absolutely demoralized over and over and over and over and over again by nature, <laughs> in terms of the conditions not being what they what you kind of have your expectations sure. set on. Right. Yeah. I had to adapt, you know, or else I felt like I was just gonna like give up um, because it was just not fun anymore. So I think it's interesting. I think we all have our own kind of journeys that we're going through in those regards, and we kind of individually arrive at these different conclusions in terms of what motivates us around what we seek. Sure. Yeah. 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 For myself, um, I think the, uh, one of the other things I sent you was um, this idea of sips and gulps yeah. and, and um, how people like me, I just feel are, are just starving for good light because I never see it. I mean, we'll get, we'll get six good sunsets a year, maybe in, in California. And, and part of that time I might be working and not out and not able to, to see that. So when I get out and there is good light, I mean, I'm just, I go nuts. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's I just can't wait to get out and just start shooting. And, and once you get that kind of a hit, I mean, you just, every time you want to go out and get more and more of that, um, but um, I think that's different. I think the comparison here is uh, like Alex Noriega. I remember him saying that um, he wasn't going to shoot sunrises anymore because that means getting up early. So who needs that? And, you know, sunsets, it's, they're okay, but they, you know, he doesn't really need that to happen either. And I'm staring at him like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's, that's, <laughs> it's so foreign to my way of thinking because there's somebody who, when I talk about sips and gulps, if you're starving for something, if you're thirsty and you never have this thing and you finally get your hands on it, you just gulp it down. I feel like that's what I'm doing out when I'm, when I'm shooting. 
Right. Alex Noriega, if you live in a beautiful area of the country where you walk out the front door and it's just gorgeous every day, I think you start taking it in sips like it's a fine wine. And then you can be a lot more selective about what you want to shoot and when you're going to shoot and and getting looking for more finesse when you're out. And that, all these things, I think you start seeing it at a deep. And maybe I'll see this next year. Maybe if I'm out there for a month, you know, I'll begin to see things in a completely different way. But right now it's just i just soak it in so every time i get out there it just feels so good to be out and back into someplace beautiful this weekend i'm going back up to um yosemite again to shoot some fall colors and i, I can't wait you know i just yeah. i know what it's going to feel like to get out of the car and just walk in the woods and just and just soak that in so um I think that is part of it. Like, I wonder if that's a distinction between, you know, people that have to shoot in the margins of their, of their day. Like, however you get a chance to do that. If you, if you live in an ugly part of the world, you know, maybe it does influence the way that you see things when you're out there. And, and if you, if you live in the San Juans, <laughs> if you live in Durango, I would imagine it's gotta be pretty nice. You know, you, you can just kind of drive up the road and find something pretty spectacular. So. Yeah. It's, it's, Yes, and you'd be surprised at how infrequently I do that. <laughs> yeah, I think you said like you only get out like five or six times. Like you're, when you take trips, it's like five or six times a year or something. Otherwise, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I like this weekend. I have no plans, but I'm also not planning on going out to make photos. Like I have other things that I want to do with my time, like more on the business side of things. But, sure, sure. But yeah, it's um. It is interesting because I think some of it is um, kind of just like where you're at in your journey. Because I remember, and there's no like, it's, I'm not saying like your journey could be like 100 years, right? Um, and the first part of it could last 50 years. <laughs> right, right. I remember the first maybe three or four years as a photographer, like if I had a free weekend, I, I was going to do something, you know, like there was no, you couldn't stop me. Like I was going right. to make an image. Right. Um, but I think as you're, I don't know, maybe like as you just get more and more accustomed to getting good images and I guess it, I don't know, maybe you do take it for granted. I, I don't know mm. what, what it is, but yeah, it's an interesting concept though, because I've, I often hear people, you know, they'll, they'll make plans to take like, maybe they can only get out two or three or four times a year and, you know, they, they go on their trip and then the weather didn't cooperate and they're really disappointed. And, you know, I, I don't think in the last four years since I've kind of shifted my mentality, I don't think I've had a bad trip photographically speaking. I've, I always find something that I, mm. that I want to make an image of. It might not be epic sunset or epic sunrise or, you know, amazing atmospherics, but I find something that piques my interest. And I found that path to be much more satisfying because I'm never disappointed. Yeah, it's tough. Like when, because I'm so oriented that way, my first trip to the Dolomites, uh, <laughs> it's probably like 2017. I went in October expecting these conditions and it, it was like the warmest non cloudy <laughs> autumn they've had probably like 20 years. Right. And it was nothing but just sun and haze every single day, which is what I have here in Southern California. And it killed me. I mean, it was so hard to, to keep shooting because I had, these hopes for what it was going to be when I got there. Right. And then you get out and it's like, it's nothing like, you know, and then you still have to shoot. I mean, <laughs> you want to come back with something, but it's just, Oh, it's, it's tough. And I think, um, I just picked up Guy Tall's book 
today. I think I'm not sure how new that is. I don't know if it's it's uh, recent. More than a rock or or the new one? The new one. Um, okay, yeah. I'm trying to remember what it's called because I just bought it like this afternoon. But yeah. Um and I think I just started reading the the very beginning of it, maybe the introduction or maybe it was the first chapter. And he was talking about you know your expectations. And when you take those with you out there, I mean that's how do you keep going when there's when when what you're saying doesn't live up to what you thought it was going to be, and then are which, you still able to come up with something? Which is always going to happen, you know. Right. Like, I don't know how many trips I've taken where, you know, I had these expectations. Like, there's a I think I've told this story before, but when I first moved to Portland, um, you know, I'd, I'd never photographed anything in Oregon before, and so I was super out of my element. Of course, I was comp stomping. People like Alex Reagan and Ryan Dyer and I was just finding stuff. And I was super obsessed with that that image of Mount Hood from Tom, Dick, and Harry. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's this classic scene with a mirror lake down in between some trees. And then Mount Hood is just right in your face. And you have this really awesome trees in front of you and these rocks in the foreground. It's just a killer scene. I think I hiked that scene like seven times. <laughs> Wow. And it's not, I mean, it's not a hard hike, but it's, you know, it's like a good 45 minute drive from Portland. And then you're talking about like a, probably like a five or six mile round trip hike. And I think I did it seven times before I was like, yeah, I think I'm done. Like I can't. And it was, but it was all about, I had this expectation of what the conditions were going to be. And it was super demoralizing, you know, like, right. I just don't think that way anymore. because it kind of just ruins the the whole experience for me and why I'm doing it to, for, to begin with. And, uh, um, but you know, that's me, that's kind of how I've managed those things. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's still hard for me. I went last summer up to the Eastern Sierras. Um, I'm trying to remember the lake that we went up to. It was, it was above 12,000 feet. And, um, and I was with a, a couple of buddies of mine and there was, there's literally no clouds. And they started shooting immediately and I just sat down. I mean, I was, I didn't, I couldn't see anything that I wanted to shoot. Right. The light wasn't that great. I'm like, man. And so, you know, we, we hiked for seven, eight miles to get up there and, and you want the payoff. I mean, you've worked that hard. And if you're a photographer, you want to go back with something. But even now it's just really hard for me to keep shooting if there's, if there's literally no clouds and I'm not that thrilled about it. It's, it's hard. It's hard to keep going. Yeah. I mean, that's where I, I feel like that's where you fall in love with your telephoto lens and, and you, you know, hiking, you know, it's like, go, go explore a forest and find something that speaks to you and try to make an image of it. You know, I think that's where it's, you know, like you said before, it's, you got to make an image, like you're out there, you know, you're, <laughs> you've expended the resources to make it happen. So, right, right. So why not try something different that's not within your wheelhouse or your expectations and, Right. release all of that energy and see what can happen. You know, we were talking before the podcast about that plateau um, over by Silver Jack Reservoir that I discovered. And that came out of some frustrations I had that very same day where I went that morning to photograph a classic scene at that area and the conditions were total garbage. And I was frustrated because, you know, I'd taken time off of work to get there and all that stuff. And and I was like, you know what, instead of getting upset and disappointed like I normally do when things don't work out, I'm just going to hike this trail and see what happens. And then I discovered that scene and I was like, right. oh my God, you know? And so I think, you know, it's, 
I think we can trap ourselves if, if we if we don't release those expectations. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, it's it's in my DNA. I mean, I'm just I'm hardwired to to look for that weather. And I spent uh, two. This I this is my second year storm chasing. And uh, and I wouldn't recommend storm chasing in a Prius. This is like the second year of taking the <laughs> taking the Prius out. I got stuck in the mud and I got trapped, you know, in high water and couldn't drive out because it's more than four inches. And so um, it was it was uh, it was an adventure. But uh, man, for two weeks, it was that's all I did was just just chase storms. And it was such. I mean, I was living the dream. I mean, it's just I was I was in my element, and I, I'm. I think I'm going to try and do that almost every year. And I'm really influenced by people like Michael Binsky and, and sure. all of these other people that were out there um, chasing these storms and just their ability to a forecast and B, you know, they place themselves at the right side of the storm where it's going by and they've got the right angle and there's a sunset light coming through and they they've done it so long. They, they just know where that's going to happen most of the time. And I was always on the wrong side of the storm. If I wanted anything, I'd have to drive through the tornado and maybe I'll get something on the other. I'm not going to do that in a Prius. So, uh, you know, it was, it was an adventure, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was, I could see myself doing that. A lot. I mean, it's just when I was a kid, I was thinking about being a meteorologist for a time because I, I yeah. would just stare at the weather. And if you're in Southern California, that how sad is that? I mean, every night you're you're watching the news and it's the same thing and you see a, a sun for like the next two weeks and it's, you know, 80 degrees and it never changes. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, now that I'm able to to get out there and and find I, I'd never seen storms like that in my life. Right. Driving through um, this eastern Colorado, I mean, this stuff would come out of the the high plains, and it was I would get in the Prius and drive as fast as I could the other way because you know I've never seen storms like that before, and they're just rolling down and they're they're terrifying. Right. But um. Yeah. But man, what a thrill! I had and so those, much fun. And those types of images where you have to, you know, know how to read the weather and travel and execute and guess where the storm's going to be and then that's just the logistics of it all and then you actually have to execute the photograph like there's a lot of complexity and difficulty wrapped up in creating an image like that right so sure. yeah and i um, i don't think i was really happy with anything i shot for two weeks <laughs> <laughs> you know i got all these storms and i came home i'm like yeah i don't know if i want to post these because the compositions are just tough i mean it's flat and there's a bunch of clouds so Unless you've got a farmhouse or a road or something that that happens to line up with, right. you know, where well, the action is happening, you need an Instagram model. Yes, exactly. That, yeah. That'll that'll fix it put all. On a, put on a red dress, <laughs> run, run out into the field, you know, with the their hair right. and the dresses blowing yep. in the wind. It's perfect. I'll have to remember that for next year. <laughs> <laughs> you could get a blow up doll. <laughs> Okay, we're, we're taking that too far. Okay, so the reason why I said all that about like the effort involved in creating an image like that is, you know, we shared a lot of email exchanges about effort. Um, and it, it's funny because um, this actually came up uh, during the judging for the Natural Landscape Photography Awards right. um, around, you know, effort and, you know, is that was that, that one even, of the criteria? Like in, in right, terms like, of your that, judging scoring sheet, is that one of the lines right, there? Like what what right. was involved in having to come up with the idea? It's not, but like that became a conversation. I was like, mm. is this even is that relevant? Right. And so, you know, 
assuming, you know, like photographs like Ansel Adams, um, Moon over Hernandez, like he probably didn't have to put a ton of effort into that. Although his right. knowledge on how to operate a camera obviously like played into it because I've, I think I read in his biography that he like just knew based on experience, what setting to put it at. Like he just knew, which is awesome, but that's not really effort. Right. And so right. I'm, I'm curious, like in terms of how it relates to effort and uh, photographs like that, how, can we still consider it fine art? You know, and right. how do we, yeah. and how do we define fine art? Like how, how does that relate? Yeah. It seems, it seems like what Guy Tall would be doing. I mean, I just, I looked at his uh, website again today, right before I bought the book and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I would swear that like about a month ago, I looked at his site and it said Guy Tall artist, like artist was on his head, like the right across the top of his website. And today it's a guy tall photographer and then author, hmm. which I okay. thought was an interesting, and maybe I just Shift. imagined that before, but when it said artist, I thought, you know what, this, of all of us, who's going to be more of an artist than, than guy tall. I mean, the guy, I look at him and I just think, no, that's an artist. That's somebody who is constantly just finding elements in his mind, arranging them, preconceiving what that's going to be having an eye of what, you know, what it's going to look like when it's finished and getting that shot. And right. I don't think he just rolls up like like Ansel Adams did, jumps out of the car, click, jumps back in and goes. I mean, it's I, it looks like he's really worked for these shots. So then, you know, when you start trying to decide what is art and what isn't, or what is fine art and what isn't, it it's it's tough. And I know it's if, you know ultimately, I guess it's up to the photographer <laughs> what they're gonna call that. But for Ansel, I guess the artistic part of that was in the post-processing, right? I mean, it looks sure. like it was shot at midnight. You've got this black sky, you've got these white clouds. And maybe at that point, black and white photography, how many other photos really looked like that one did when, when he came up with this. Right. But for the, just in terms of difficulty level, it's, it was just, he recognized that that was a shot out of the corner of his eye, slammed on the brakes, got the camera out, had just enough time to get that exposure. And then it was done. Right. So, you know, is is it the difficulty level that makes it fine art or is it the processing or, you know? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Uh, because I want to say it was like way back in like episode 200 when I had Guy Tal and Michael Gordon on, we talked about creativity. And I think Guy Tal talked about big C and little C in terms of creativity. Right, right. And, and the way that I've kind of, um, I don't know, internalized that is... Uh, if you and me and like six other photographers rolled up to the exact same scene and we all take, took the exact same photograph, that's probably not creative, right? Like sure. we made a beautiful photograph and it was amazing. Like we captured this amazing scene that was double rainbows and, you know, like it was, everything was just there and it was amazing. But is that art? Right. Like, did we really right. create something if, if we all did the same thing? And I was trying to make some of those arguments in relation to um, to some of the judging and the competition we just did, because it's like I tried to put myself in the shoes of that photographer. Like if I came up upon that scene, what if I made that same photograph? And if my answer was yes, then I wasn't that impressed. Right. But if my answer was I would have never seen that, like I would have never in a million years made that image, then I was very impressed by that. Right. And there was right. a lot of images like that, uh, by the way, that just impressed the crap out of me. But for the ones that were just more obvious, like, yeah, they showed up and everything was there and 
it wasn't you know there wasn't that much quote unquote effort to make a artistic creation. It just doesn't to me that doesn't feel like art, right? Like if if we're all showing up to the same scene and creating the same image, that's not art in my opinion. But I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> well, it was tough. I heard the episode where it was a it was a panel discussion and it was Guy Tall and um, Sean Bagshaw and a yeah, number yeah. of other folks that were, were all talking about what you do on your workshops. And so, um, you know, I listened to Guy Tall and it was, it was really interesting and I, I felt really challenged by it. Um, and um, I remember him talking about um, the Dr. Simonton scale and how there's like this crisis of creativity and, um, and then this Dr. Simonton scale, you know, you're measuring a surprise. Is there a surprise, you know, in, in different ways of measuring creativity? And the thing that jumped out at me first was how subjective that is. I mean, if you're trying to measure creativity, it's it's a tool like what you just did. You you had subjective opinions on on judging this competition based yeah. on this criteria. So Dr. Simonton to me is like it's the same thing. It's you're trying to subjectively measure well, this is, this is surprising and this isn't. And the yeah. thing that got me was like, let's say Guy Tall and, and me, we're walking. <laughs> now we're out there walking and I'm blown away by something. And he's like, come on. I mean, it's how, you can't be more obvious than that. I mean, he's going to give it a one and I'm going to give it a 10 because I'm just, my head's exploding. Right. But he's out there all the time and he sees stuff like this. Right. So keeping in mind that it's subjective, I think, um, yeah, when you really try and figure out how do we, how do we measure creativity and originality? That's, that's tough. And for me, um, I had to really kind of dig down and think, and this is hard. It sounds horrible. It sounds horrible when I say it, <laughs> but I had to admit creativity and originality for me, isn't like the, the utmost thing that I'm looking for when I go out yeah, to shoot. Sure. That's, that's not my, I'll use the term raison d'etre. Why am I out there shooting as as a photographer, my my number one reason for being out there is to inhabit the landscape. Hmm. And I don't hear as much of that from, it's interesting, like from professional photographers, I think you hear less about the emotion of it while they're shooting and mm -hmm. just the, the uh, opportunity to be out there with whatever conditions are happening and just to absorb that and just to live that moment I, I hear less of that and I hear more of that analytical side, especially from people like when I hear Guy Tall and Alex Noriega speak, they sound like very analytical guys. They sound like people who aren't going to be pushed around by emotion. And maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm just, <laughs> I have I, no idea if that's true no, or not, but I that's how they sound when I listen to them speak. They just sound very analytical. And I think, uh, I think you're wrong. I think you're right. I think I'm wondering though, I think it might be more of a function of the amount of time they have just spent in sure. the landscape where it's right. like, you know, I, I think back to when I first started in photography and I saw amazing sunrise or sunset, or I saw the Milky Way for the first time through my LCD, I was blown away. Right. Like, and I was like excited and like, Oh my God, this is this amazing, most amazing thing I've ever seen. And I think the more experiences like that you have over time, I think it just kind of loses some of that emotional impact, mm. for, especially for people like, you know, Guy and Alex, who probably spend, I'm just going to so guess, but like, you know, probably four, six, ten times as much time in the field than you and I do. Right, right. Um, if I had to guess. 
<laughs> right? And so I think there's a, I think that, I think what's an important aspect of what we're talking about here is I think it's important to remember our own personal journeys and like sure. where we're yeah. at. And it's going right? to be different for different people. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there's not, there's not, that's not to say that it's right or wrong. You know, it's like, that's just what someone's experience and where they're sure. at. No. And I wasn't suggesting anything's wrong no, on I the other side. Right. It's just recognizing differences, you know, yeah. between us. And that same panel was Sean Bagshaw. And then almost immediately after that, they were, they were went down the line and talked to different people. And he said, you know, it's all about the experience with me. He said, I could lose my camera tomorrow and I'm still going to be out there. So I look at him as somebody who wants to inhabit that landscape and just walk out and just yeah. the experience comes first. And then if I come back with a photo from that, it's, you know, it's all the better, Yeah, which is a different approach. I mean, you look at those two different sides and one's based on the experience and the other one seems to be like very artistic. Like it's, it's all about coming up with the composition. So yeah. And then part of me thinks, well, I should be that way too. I mean, if I, if I, <laughs> I'm going full time, right. So I should be like Guy Tall. I should be, uh, the other person I would, um, look at would be, um, Eric Bennett, right. Sure. And Eric Bennett, from what I remember him saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was something along the lines of, um, I'm not going to go out and shoot unless it's no one's been there before. Or if I can do a shot better than what's, if I feel I can do a better job with what's already been taken. And as soon as I heard that, I thought there's somebody who has no, there's somebody who will never in his life stand at the tunnel in Yosemite <laughs> and take a photograph because it's been shot, you know, billions of times and why would he do that right yeah so, so it's, it's funny it's funny because i've i've photographed with both eric and alex before and and it's you're pretty right on i mean it's funny i went backpacking with alex this summer and um i got up super early like at five in the morning i hiked up like four miles up to get to this position for sunrise and it was okay but it was a fun experience and i just Again, I wanted, what do you, what do you call it? I wanted to occupy the landscape. Like I wanted right, to right. be there inhabit, inhabit and experience the landscape. it. And if I got sure. a photograph out of it, cool. And if I didn't also cool. Right. Whereas I think Alex was like, yeah, it's cool here. You know, if I see something I like, I'll make a photograph of it. But it's, I think it all boils down to like how we relate to the landscape mm. and what our motivations are for being there in the first place. Right, right, and I right. think for that particular trip, for Alex, it wasn't about photography. It was about like socializing and, and being in the Colorado mountains with, with his friends and his girlfriend. Sure. And so it wasn't really a photography thing for him, but um, I do, I do think there is a lot to be said for that kind of intrinsic motivation as to like why you're making an image to begin with or why you're out there to begin with. Right. Right. Cause it leads you to different end results. It does. Yeah. And um, to me, like the experience in the photo are, uh, they're two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And I think I said, like, if you flip that coin, it's going to land on its edge every time because it's one is not the same without the other. So if I, if I come away without a photo, it's not the same experience for me. And if I have a photo, but didn't really have that experience, you know, it's like it, both of those things need to be there. I'm very experienced, like focused, I think. And mm -hmm. A lot of my shooting, I would refer to as moment centric. Like those moments are there and they're gone. Kind of like the uh, uh, Hernandez shot, right? Sure. With uh, Ansel Adams. So maybe it is. Maybe that makes me less 
of an artist. <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, I'm trying to just, you know, dig through and find out what's my motivation for being there. And eventually what I, what I, what I am doing is trying to do that in an artistic way. So when I get into a situation and I've only got like, you know, two minutes to shoot and then that light's going to be gone, I want to have enough tools on my belt to just reach for something in terms of composition, in terms of what, you know, lens choices. Like I've done it enough times to where I can just see that faster and know, kind of like Ansel did with, he didn't need to, you know, pull out the light meter and, and dial all that stuff in. He, he had it. It was innate by that point. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of where I'm headed, but I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to be, I can't see myself ever shooting abstracts. Maybe very well, you know, <laughs> at some point, but. I think um, you will once you experience like 12 days in a row with no clouds. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> if there's nothing, if there's nothing to do that'll push me that direction, but I'm trying to be uh, authentic and, and um, it's hard. I mean, the difference between being authentic and original, you know, you, you want to be both. You want to be original and authentic, but if you had to choose one, which one would you go with? Would you be original at the expense of your authenticity? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough, but I think there's people out there that have that sense of expectation. Here's, here's an example. Um, when we start talking about uh, iconic locations, right? I'm shooting up at the tunnel, Yosemite. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, and this was uh, last, I'm going to say March. And behind me or next to me was William Neal, Michael Fry, Joshua Cripps. They've all got workshops. They're, they've all got people that they're working with. And it was just really interesting to kind of hear, you know, the conversation and, and the, the lights going. I've never seen light like this before at the time. Oh, you I mean, were there the, that day? There's mist in the valley and it's oh, swirling yeah. around and it's catching the light. And my, again, my head's exploding, right? I'm like, For are sure. you guys seeing this? <laughs> and William Neal's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, if you got <laughs> and Michael Fry, these guys are up there all the time and they see stuff like this all the time. But then um, somebody posted a shot on Facebook and it brings up the question. And William Neal is, I think William Neal posted a photo of the photographers. Like here's 40 people and they all of their cameras are, you know, pointed at this thing mm -hmm. and a lot of people were um, commenting like why are people still shooting up there in this day and age when it's been shot into the ground and and then a couple more days went by and michael fry posted a shot mm -hmm. on his blog yeah i remember and so i think he, he was kind of feeling like you know because he heard some of those comments and he was just being really honest and he said you know why i posted the shot was i like it and it was an amazing morning and it was Right. Really good to hear him say that, but I don't think there's a lot of, I shouldn't say this, but it seems like maybe there's photographers out there that would refrain from posting what they would really feel like posting because if their peers look at it, they might say, oh, there's another shot from the tunnel or there's another shot from wherever. And haven't we done that enough already? And maybe you really wanted to shoot that, but now you're passing on it. Oh, it's so, so funny, man. I, um, I think this has been almost two years ago now, but I went to Canyonlands for the first time and I don't live that far away from Canyonlands. Yeah. You're not too far at all, huh? And um, my friend Kane wanted to take me there and we were there in January. So it was super cold and we had, we had done a ton of photography while we were there. And I think it was our next to last morning. And I was like, let's go do Mesa Arch. <laughs> let's go do it. Right. Cause I had never been to Mesa Arch. I'd never photographed it. And so he scouted it out 
um, the day before, and I was like, okay, I know where I need to. I, this is the spot I want to get when I get here because I knew it gets busy. And of course, we, you know, we get, I get that was like the second person there, like five in the morning in January or something. It's freezing cold, and all these people, like over the course of the next hour and a half, just descended upon Mesa Arch, right? Like probably eighty people, a hundred people, wow. something like yeah, that. Yeah, it gets crazy up there. And um, somebody recognized my voice, <laughs> <laughs> and I was so embarrassed to be there. Like I, I can't describe it, but it's like, it was kind of like, um, I don't know. It's, I just, I was embarrassed. Like this isn't the type of image I typically would take, but I've never seen that scene before at sunrise. And I wanted to at least photograph it once. And sure. And I, so I understand both sides of that equation because I really wanted to experience that scene as a photographer. Um, but I also, hated the fact that it was a cliche thing to do um fast forward a couple of months i ended up being an instructor at out of yosemite and i remember you and i had lots of email exchanges about tunnel view (laughs) right exactly what we're talking about and guess what i uh i taught um i had to teach had to teach it sounds like a cross to bear i was um, the instructor that taught at Tunnel View three days in a row, three mornings in a row with no clouds. <laughs> so I got to experience it from all angles. And it's, sure. it's just yeah, interesting because I think, you know, it's like such an iconic scene, such a powerful thing to see. Um, you know, you're standing in the footsteps of, of giants when you're in that location, right? And and it's a powerful experience, just even if the conditions aren't good, right? Because like so many amazing photographs have been made right here where I'm standing. Um, So I can totally appreciate the desire to do that. And it's a different motive. Right. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's a different. Yeah. It's tough. Like that's, it's one of the most popular places to be in the world. And I remember last, I think it was last winter when I was shooting up there, it was right after a huge snowfall, the storm was breaking up. There's probably, I'm going to say 12 of us with our tripods all pointed. They're waiting for the light to break through. And this family pulls up behind us. This guy was either from France or from Quebec. He has this very snooty French accent. <laughs> He's no like, offense what all- to our, our friends yeah. in France or Quebec. Not, not saying that everyone's snooty. I'm just saying this particular guy <laughs> yes. was just very derisive because he comes out. He probably thinks, you know, we're shooting wildlife. And he's like, what are you guys shooting? And it's like, we're we're shooting the valley and the, the look on his face was just like you can't be serious he, he's like there's six billion shots of this everywhere why are you standing here freezing to death and waiting for your shot and he gets back in his car drives off and you know i had to, i felt a little defensive it's like well <laughs> why am i sitting here and i had to really kind of work that through yeah and i thought i'm waiting for my moment and if the sun comes through at the perfect angle and it lights up bridal veil and everything's glowing and the angels are singing, maybe that shot's been taken before, but I wasn't there for that. Yeah, I'm there for this. And it's my moment. I get to take it home with my camera. I have a connection to that now. I was there. I witnessed the whole thing. And even though these you know, six other people next to me might go home with the same shot, it rolls off of me because I, that's their experience. It's their moment. They, they're going to do with that whatever they do. 
I get to take this home now and just work it and maybe post it and, and share that experience with everybody else. Even though it's been done a million times before, it wasn't done by me on that particular day in that particular moment. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the that's the dividing line for me is, that, you know, I don't if something's been overshot, I don't want to stand in a pile of people you know, as a rule. Like I saw what happened to Horseshoe. I right. mean, I but the last time I was there was right before they started the trams. And, you know, now it's like you need to make a pilgrimage to get there. And, it, you know, you got to pay all these fees and stand with 500 other people. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. But. You know, a place like Yosemite, I've been at that tunnel by myself, you know, multiple times because you get there with weather on certain days and sure. no one's there and yeah. it's yours and you get to just sit there and just stare at that valley, you know, as long as you want. So oh, it's a, it's a beautiful experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I but totally shot into the ground. It's, it's tough. Yeah. It's, I think it, again, I think it kind of boils down to motivation, right? I mean, it's, it's like, what do we want to achieve? Right. 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 Like, I don't know if you've ever played uh, role-playing games at all, like or, or like way back in the day, they called them MUDs. They were primitive uh, online role-playing games where it was like turn-based and all text and stuff. But somebody created a questionnaire where it kind of determined what kind of a player you are. And I think it's, oh, I need to look this up, but there's a word for it. It's There's a test that was created. Um, anyway, this guy created a test. And you can take this test and it'll tell you what kind of a gamer you are. Mm. And there's like like a like a killer, uh, an achiever, like or, or someone who like wants all the treasure. Um, and I think it's the same in photography, right? Like we have different reasons for why we're out there and why we're making images. And some people want to create something that's super unique to them sure. and creative right. and personally expressive. And that's what that's about. And other people, they want to get as many experiences and images of the classic scenes as they possibly can. And like, those are the people that are probably like, like the achievers or whatever. So I think, and there's nothing wrong, but like they're different modes of operation. Right. Right. And another idea that I had was if let's say like my next big trip, I want to be to Lofoten to Norway and just be able to go to Rhina and Hamnoy and some of those villages that have just been shot, literally shot into the ground. I mean, everybody's shot, I mean, there's crowds of people that go there every year. But in spite of the fact that they're so iconic, I, there's something about that location that's that's just calling to me. I want to go there. I want to I want to take my camera. I want to hike up in the snow. I want, you know, I might not get the conditions I want, but at that point, I'm there. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like I've already won just by inhabiting, again, inhabiting that landscape. I just want to be there. So I think there's locations that might um, resonate with us. And I think there's, if people are honest and they really want to go to someplace just to inhabit that and explore, I don't know. I think they should answer that call. And for me, I'm, I'm going to go, even though I don't, when I post those shots, let's say this, I'm not going to be posting them for my peers in the landscape photography community because they've already seen <laughs> probably way better shots than I might come back with. But I'm still going to want to share that experience. And I, there's other people outside of that circle mm-hmm. that are going to see this for the first time and I'll get to share it with them. And so that's like, a, it's a whole different experience. So the other question would be, who are we shooting for? And, and if we're being influenced by our peers, is, is that problematic or is it a good thing? I mean, it, it can be a good thing. I mean, if well, I think it if, can be both. 
Well, sure. And, you know, taking care of nature and everything that you're involved with nature for you're you're influencing your peers in a very positive way with that. But I wonder, you know, if if people really want to shoot something and they're getting all of this, you know, shade thrown at them because (laughs) it's been done into the ground. It's tough because I think people just pass on that and then they go looking for whatever that next thing is. And sometimes I think it's like it's like fashion, like, you know, the pharaohs were so. 2016. I'm never going to shoot the, they're out of fashion now. So I'm not going to go to the, what if you really wanted to go to the Pharaohs and you don't care if it's, (laughs) if it's in vogue, right? I mean, it's whatever the newest, newest uh, location is going to be. Can you be the first one there and be the first to, to plant your flag on it? I don't, it's not going to surprise you, but I've actually put a ton of thought into this particular issue because, you know, I think we all think about ourselves and how we relate to our, our peers and, and how we portray ourselves to our audiences, right? And, right? and I think for a lot of photographers in the space or in the community, at the root of this particular kind of, I don't know, divide, I'll just say, is this idea of like, of language and how we talk about our photography. And I think what's maybe frustrating for some people that, how do I say this, have kind of moved on to creating their own compositions and their own images that are unique sure, sure. or whatever, is the way that photographers talk about their work when it's not original, as as being some kind of artistic achievement, mm. when it's really not. You know, it's, it's like you put your tripod where somebody else put their tripod, you created a really cool image, it was probably an amazing experience, you probably had a great time. You nailed the technical aspects of the photograph. It's a great photograph, but like, it's not creative. It's not artistic from their perspective, right? And so mm-hmm. that's where it's like it leaves this weird taste in people's mouths. Sure, sure. I think. And so I think I think this is a good segue because you know I personally struggle with calling landscape and nature photography art uh, or an art form. I, you know, I know that it can be, and I know for some people it is. Um, well, before I forget to bring this up again, yeah, is there another type of photography that you would relate it to? I, I was bouncing this around in my head over the summer. Like, if we don't call it art, if you're not out there to create, you know, unique prints and and your own personal expression at that level, is it is it closer to? Let's say I just write, you know, uh, paragraphs. Like on my on my Flickr account, it's rare that I'll just post. I mean, you know this for my emails. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's rare that I'll just post like a couple of sentences. I'll put paragraphs up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it closer to photojournalism? Is it closer to what um, a war correspondent is doing with a camera out in the field? Is there is there still artistry involved in somebody with a camera who's who's just reacting to what's happening around him as it happens? I think that's what we do as landscape photographers. If you're out there and you've only got those two minutes and then the light's gone, how is that different than somebody who's in the middle of a war zone and who's just spinning around and something catches your eye in that instant and that becomes your composition? It's it's a different... Yeah, I think they're similar. Yeah. And you could probably make a cogent argument that they're both artistic, you know, because it requires a human, um, you know, like you're instilling yourself into that experience and you're reacting and all those things you just said. And the, the end result is this artistic creation. I get all of that. Um, and I think part of my 
perspective is more relating to my own photography and my own kind of reticence of, you know, calling myself an artist, right? Like it kind of feels kind of hoity-toity to me to say I'm an artist, you know, it's it's like, no, I put myself in really cool spots and I react to things and I make good images sometimes. And is that art? Okay. That's, that's cool, I guess. Um, But I don't see myself as like, you know, like, like a Jimi Hendrix or, Mm. like Bach or, 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 or like a Renoir, you know, someone who's creating something from absolutely nothing. Um, That's where I kind of struggle with, you know, it's, I guess it's maybe different playing fields or different ballparks or whatever. But, you know, one thing that our email exchanges I thought was really interesting was kind of this idea of defining art and motivation of creating art, because I personally, and I think maybe you you and I share this. I don't go out into the field looking to um, create art. Right. That's not my. Yeah. I'm like, like I don't see myself as a this artist, this badass artist. You know, I just see myself as someone who loves nature. I love to go out. I love to react to what I find and and then make an image of what I see. And if there's emotion and parts of myself in that, that's great. And if some people want to call that art, that's also great. But I don't, my motivation wasn't to go out and create a piece of art. So I guess my question is, if we're not, if our first priority as photographers isn't to create a work of art, then what are we doing? And is that okay? Right, right. Yeah. And just getting down to, you know, your motivation for being there. For me, again, it was, it was all about the experience first. Um, and, and coming back with that image again is, is, is part of that. Like if I, if I have that experience and an image and I come home with that, um, and I get those conditions, I mean, I'm looking for magic. I want to go out there and, and find, you know, a beautiful location, have those conditions. And if I don't get them, then, you know, I am, <laughs> I should say I am, I'm shooting with longer lenses now than I was five years ago. And I'm, I'm trying to find, you know, different types of things. I'm hoping that my eye is continuing to develop. I want to shoot in an artistic way and, and make artistic choices in the moment and, and hopefully come back with some great shots. But it's, I'm not going out there specifically to hang a, a work of art on somebody's wall and have them stare at that. Like, that's not my number one priority. And I think it is. It literally is for a, a lot a lot of people in our community. I think they when they go out, they want to create that kind of an image and and have that be a work of art and and think of it in those terms. Um, and that's awesome. But like for me, it's like I it's all about being there. I just want to get out there and and live that moment. I'm trying to remember who said that I somebody said this on uh, YouTube like a number of years ago from British Columbia, but he, at the end of the video, he just said, you know, I want to get out there and live those moments and not just capture those moments. Mm-hmm. And that just stuck with me because I thought that's, that's, that's what it is. I want to, I want that experience. I want to go out and just inhabit that landscape first. And then what happens happens rather than you walk into the woods and some people are really good at this walking into the woods and coming up with like this, and this is Thomas Heaton and Adam Gibbs. I don't know how they do that. They just, they walk out and they see trees that they like and they shoot these trees, <laughs> which is great. And, you know, there's other people that do these intimates too, that are just amazing and beautiful, but it's like their brains are wired that way. They, that's what they see. It's what they're drawn to. And I think at the end of the day, it's, it's about 
authenticity. Are you, are you really, do you know why you're out there and are you going to own that? And for me, I think that that's what I'm trying to do with this is trying to own the fact that I just want to be in that landscape and whatever I can come up with in those moments, you know, I'm going to continue to chase light. I'm going to continue to chase storms because it's just, that's what I'm drawn to now. And maybe in five years, <laughs> I'll be in the woods, you know, looking for other compositions and, and more intimates. But yeah, it's it's really hard to kind of sort that out. And, and it's also hard to come in front of the community like this and say, you know, what if art isn't my number one priority? What if the Dr. Simonton scale isn't the thing that's that I'm really concerned about when I go out there? So it's that is it's it's kind of a tough thing to to ask. I think you nailed it with the, the the idea of authenticity here because that was kind of what I was trying to share earlier about myself. Like, I don't really see myself necessarily as a this great artist. I see myself as someone who loves to be in nature, to have these experiences, to react to those experiences, and come away with something that I that I'm happy with. Um, and if that happens, that's great. And if it doesn't, I'm also very happy to be out there. And to be experiencing those moments, right? Sure. Um, I think it's where I think it's when people go fairly obviously not authentic, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's where it's like like I was sharing earlier, like look at this incredibly amazing photograph of Mesa Arch I made. Look, how, I, aren't I such a great artist, right? It's like right. You made a great photograph of something that thousands of other people have already done before. That's awesome. I don't necessarily think that qualifies you as an artist. I'm sorry. Right, right. And maybe I'm just being an asshole here. <laughs> but but I when I do look at, you know, Sarah Marino, when I look at Guy Tall and Alex Noriega, when I look at these intimate shots and David Thompson, all these people that are coming up with compositions that you're right. Like maybe I wouldn't, I'm not even sure what you just judged in your competition, but you see these shots and like, how did they, yeah. how in the world did they see that? Right. You know, what kind of brain <laughs> comes up with with that type of a shot when they could be standing right next to you and see it in a completely different level? And, you know, of course, I want to be that kind of a photographer. But, you know, eventually maybe that's that's what I'll become. But in the meantime, yeah, I'm just trying to to be honest with myself and figure why why is it that I'm out there? And if if I'm not that concerned about Dr. Simonton and surprise and everything else that was on that scale. I have to be okay with that and yeah. and just go out and, and, and there's, try and be authentic. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, I think that's what's disappointing, I guess, from the outside is, you know, people trying to say that it's more than what it is. You know, it's it's okay to just be a really good photographer who loves to photograph classic scenes. There's nothing right. wrong with that. Also um, related to that, because I'm going to forget to bring this up too. There was, I can't remember the guest that was on your show, but this person said something along the lines of, um, if you were to just roll up to a scene, this is like Ansel Adams, right? You just roll up to a scene, you get out, you take out your camera, the lights going off, click, you've got your shot. Not a whole lot of effort. She, the quote was, you just won the lottery. You had nothing to do with that shot. And that stung. I mean, because I'm like, well, case she's talking about me, because <laughs> I've kind of done that several times in my life. I mean, we all have, right? Yeah. And then I kind of thought about that, and then I thought, what what that's missing? It's not just it's not just the lottery. It's 
It's what that photo is imbued with. And you don't see that from, from that other side. You, you see it from your angle because you know what went into that shot. And one of my favorite shots is in my um, living room right now. And of course, it's from the tunnel <laughs> in Yosemite. But I drove, I drove six hours to get there. And I was trying to time it to where a storm was going to break. And I pulled up there. I stood in the rain. I shivered for like about an hour. And sure enough, the clouds broke. The light came through at an angle and lit up bridal veil just at that moment. And then it was gone again. And I got right. that shot. And then I drove six hours home. So, you know, I won the lottery, right? But what's what's missing is the fact that I I had to figure out when to be there. I had to look at the forecast. I had to make that six hour drive. And every time I see that shot now, I'm I'm back looking at that same scene, and it's 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 part of my life now. It's in my living room. So it's you. I think these photos can become imbued with everything that goes into that. And as an example, um, let me give you a hypothetical. I won't say that this actually happened, but I'll give you a hypothetical. Let's say there's a certain professional landscape photographer who has a YouTube channel and he asked people to send in photos for a critique, right? And let's say that this particular person sends in a shot of the Wanaka tree in New Zealand. So the first comment this person made was, first of all, you need to find another tree because I'm not saying this is hypothetical, right? It's still hypothetical. <laughs> he says, uh, if I see one more shot of this tree, I'll probably lose my mind. Like I've seen so much of this tree. The first thing that he wanted to communicate to this person was this is way overshot and you, you probably want to find a different tree. That's my number one piece of advice to you. So what, what do you think? Is that a helpful comment or not? Not the way that it was stated. Yeah. But do you think it's helpful? I guess it depends on the intent of what the critique was, right? Because are they looking for uh, feedback on whether or not it was technically well executed? Or are they looking for feedback on whether or not that particular image says something about them as a photographer or mm. as, a, as an artist, quote-unquote right. artist? And like, I hate to say it, but if your portfolio is full of images that, that are like the other, tree that people have already made before, that says something about you as an artist. Right, right. Well, okay. So let me, <laughs> let me spin it this way. Um, like from the person who sent that in, uh -huh. we have no idea what that, again, if, if, if photos can be imbued with everything that gets poured into it. Like you don't see that side of what this person put in. Maybe it took right, their life probably, savings to get into New Zealand. They've sure. been dreaming about this thing for 10 years. Right. They finally get the Wanaka tree. There's perfect conditions. And now you want to share this with a mentor. Like, hey, what do you think of this? Right. And so I think the only time that you give that, and this is to the workshop leaders, and maybe I'm way off. So feel free to say that. But I think workshop leaders should keep in mind the only time that you should really shoot down a photo because it's quote overshot is if they're coming to you saying, how can I, how can I raise my game in terms of what the other photographers are, are looking at when they look at my stuff? How can I gain some esteem in the community? How can I be perceived as somebody who is an up and comer and, you know, is, is, uh, is, is a talented photographer within the community because outside of our community, 
I can I I can tell you right now, no one in my family has ever seen the Wanaka tree and wouldn't know what that is. Sure. No one, like half of my people on Facebook have never seen that before. But it, once you get inside our community and and you start talking to these other landscape photographers, those are the people that are going to say, "Oh, it's it's that's pretty iconic. That's you might want to look at something else." So I think that's an important distinction. Like if, if, if your main concern is not how to raise your game in our community and be perceived as somebody who's eventually going to, you know, be a master of your craft and, and be held in high esteem by your, your peers, then maybe you're okay with the Wanaka tree. And maybe it's okay that it's, if it's a decent shot, maybe we should talk about more about the technical aspects of that instead of, oh, you have a shot from the tunnel You've got a Winaka yeah, yeah. tree. You've got a horseshoe band. Yeah, you know, I think, all of these things. I think it's important to ask that question of like, what what is your motivation as a photographer? Right. As an artist, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and again, if if they're not really concerned with building a portfolio and becoming a professional themselves, I think that's when you say, mm, you know, what you've got here is a lot of iconic shots. Maybe you should consider, you know, all these other things. Right. But um. Right, yeah, right, it right. just it just really jumped out at me like wow. I mean, you the, if that's your first comment, you got to be so careful because you don't know what what's what's packed into that photo from the photographer's perspective. And if the the quote that came to me was um Neuschwanstein, the Neuschwanstein castle, the dude that that built this castle, there's a plaque I think somewhere in that castle that says um, tread carefully because you're you're stepping on my dreams, right? And if I, you're yeah you bring that photo and you set it in front of your mentor and say, what do you think of this? And then like, okay, first of all, <laughs> you know, that's tough. No, it's interesting, right? There's two sides of that because I, I totally right. appreciate what you're saying. It's um, like you said, we don't know what, all the effort that went into them getting to that spot and experiencing that moment. And, but again, I think it's, um, I think the question to ask is, what do you want to get out of this pursuit of photography? Right. Right. If, if what you want to get out of it is to visit these amazing places that other you've seen pictures of or whatever, and you want to see them as well. And then you also want to proficiently capture that moment with your camera and, and do it in a way that that's, you know, technically flawless. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if sure, that's what sure. you're, your end game is that's awesome and 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 kudos to that person because they achieved it and they put in you know they they did it they pulled it off right um i just don't i would be curious to know so they submitted this again hypothetical right hypothetical <laughs> <laughs> they submitted this image for critique to a professional photographer so certainly they they're looking for some other feedback other than Right. Did, did I like, technically nail this photograph? And right. so I think, I think it depends on what they're looking to get out of that exchange of ideas. Sure, um, sure. And certainly, I would expect someone who has visited the Wanaka tree probably had an understanding that it's a fairly pretty popular popular location. So right. they had to know that. You know, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, I think it all does boil down to like what you want to get out of photography and how do you see yourself as a photographer and what do you want to do with your photography? If all you want to do is share your photography with your friends and family or maybe whatever and like check out this amazing 
place I visited and check out this awesome photo I got. It's, that's awesome. That's great. Sure. There's nothing wrong with that, man. But I, I have a feeling <laughs> that if you're submitting your f- photograph for critique to a professional photographer, you might be looking for more than that. Right, right. On the opposite side, I also wanted to mention um, a place that isn't shot much at all that I think has incredible potential. And this is a just, it's not like I'm saying this for the Tourism Bureau, um, <laughs> but um, Arkansas is has got some amazing opportunities. My sister lives down there and I spent a couple of weeks last October, uh, a year ago, down there shooting. And I think they've got about as many waterfalls as Oregon. I mean, they're all over the state. I've heard this before. I think maybe yeah. David Cobb and nobody's there. Nobody is there. I mean, you go down and there's like, there's three photographers maybe that shoot Arkansas and they live in Arkansas. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, it's such a tough place I think to get to, or it's just off just enough off the beaten trail to where not a lot of people are there in the South. They've got, um, bayous, they've got the cypress trees. You've got this huge range of things that you can shoot, but hardly anybody is there. So it'll be interesting to see if more people kind of, you know, eventually drive in there and there's just miles and miles and trails that you can bushwhack and stuff that no one's seen this price and hillbillies <laughs> that have seen, you know, all of that stuff, you know, but it's, there's, there's just miles and miles of, of, I think, unexplored opportunities for people out there. Oh, so for sure, for sure. And, and again, I think what we're talking about kind of, boils down to like what fills you up, what fills your soul mm-hmm. as a photographer. And, you know, for me, like those experiences don't fill me up anymore. They're, I mean, this is, this is great. So this fall, I went to a very classic scene in Colorado that I've been wanting to get a photo of for a very long time. And the conditions were like perfect for it. It's very rare to get all the conditions that happened to line up. Yeah. I had to leave like right before, like the day before it snowed and it just, it it killed me. So there was snow on the mountains and I was like, okay, I know this, this scene has been shot a billion times before, but I, 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 I really want to experience it with all those, all of the things at the same time. And so I went and I don't regret it. I love the photographs I got there. They're not unique. They're not creative. They're not special in terms of like, I put my heart and soul into it. They're technically great. Um, they'll probably sell. <laughs> so but do you feel? Fi- but it doesn't fill me up in all of the ways that I mm. would expect a landscape photography experience to fill me up. Right? It checked a lot of the boxes for me. Right? But it wasn't. Um, it wasn't all the boxes. And so yeah. I think that boils down to like, what are you? What do you want out of that experience? What do you want out of this? photography thing right for me it's it's more than it's more than that stuff Um, so what is it for you like beyond checking like the getting the right conditions and the location is it finding something new is it like what eric bennett is doing and you've never seen this before is it the exploring is it i mean i'm definitely with you on i'm very heavy in the experience experience of the moment um i think my friends couldn't attest to this like when the moment is right. I'm like a kid, you know, <laughs> I'm very excited. I'm, you know, I'm giddy. Um, but on top of that, I want it to be a compositional challenge. You know, mm. I want it to like the difficulty level. Like it's, it's, I think who, Oh gosh. Oh, it was comedy. I was watching, um, 
Talking Funny. It's uh, on HBO. No, was it on HBO? It's on YouTube, right? So it's Ricky Gervais. It's Jerry Seinfeld. They're they're having this conversation, and Ricky Gervais says, "I don't feel like it's real comedy if anybody can do it." Like there was yes. some difficulty level thing there that he was trying to articulate. And he says, I don't want to go for the easy joke. He goes, that doesn't do anything for me. Yes. I want to come up with something that no one else can think of. Exactly. It's and, the same thing. Yeah. So. Right. I and it doesn't that. mean like, that people to... that do that are bad comedians. Right. It just means like for, for other comedians that it just doesn't, doesn't do, it for them. do it for them. And so, right. uh, and I've always been that way my whole life. Like, um, I used to play this stupid card game that's still around called Magic the Gathering when I was in high school. And I was, it's a long story, but the first two editions that they printed were, they all had black borders and they were super rare and uncommon and you couldn't get them. And then they started printing the same cards on white borders. Well, I only played with the black border cards because it was harder to do. It was like, it made it like, it was an achievement. Like I did something that other people couldn't do. And that mm. was more fun than just winning. Right. Like right. showing up to a scene that's been shot before in an amazing moment, like it's easy to win and I don't want it to be easy to win. I want it to be a challenge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that sounds really weird, but, but that's just how I am. I want it right. to be a challenge to engage and- me on multiple levels. And you said like you've played sports and like that competition gene is maybe still kind of in you. Yeah. Uh, it's like somewhere, what would be right? more fulfilling to an athlete winning the Super Bowl against the hardest football team ever or rolling up to like a middle school football team and like crushing <laughs> their souls. Right. Like you still right. win, <laughs> you know, but right, like right. one of them is like more personally satisfying. Mm. Yeah. I think there's something about that competition, too. I think you're right. Interesting. Yeah. 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 But that's like, but now you know that about yourself and yeah. when you go out there, you're taking that with you. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to be really important for people just to sift through all that and figure why are you out there? The hard thing for me, I look at Eric Bennett and I look at Guy Tall, Alex Nori. These people are brilliant. I mean, I, I'm not anywhere near where these people are and I sure. respect the heck out of those guys. But um, yeah, it's the, I want to... I think there's a certain part of me that thinks in order for me to be that kind of a photographer, I should shoot like they shoot. I should think like they think I should be motivated by the same things that they are. And then, but then you lose your authenticity and you think, well, yeah, it's hard, you know, cause I do, I want to be, I want to get there. But at the same time, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I can still see that I'm going to be really, you know, chasing light and storms and everything that's still in my DNA and just and being authentic about it. So that's that's the hard part. Well, you're about to embark on a full time journey to landscape photography. And, and I have a suspicion that you're you're going to wind up on that path eventually um, at your own pace. And I think that's sure, what sure. I think often people make a mistake in is that they try to force that stuff on themselves and then it becomes inauthentic like you're talking about. Mm. So I'd be curious um, for you to tell us, you know, how you think your photography is going to change over this journey um, as you as you shift into having more time available and exposing yourself to more different experiences. I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you think is going to happen. Well, even um, 
this photo celibacy thing is another issue, right? Like <laughs> I've heard that brought up a couple of times and that's something like I didn't relate to at all. And if I use like the Dolomites as an example, when, you know, I've got 10 days in the Dolomites, this is going back to 2017, 2019. I had that place mapped out like nine ways from Sunday. I mean, I had, I knew if light was going to go off in, in the Julian Alps, I could be there in four hours. I was, I stayed right in the middle of South Tyrol and I just had it all mapped out because the clock was ticking. I mean, hmm. I've only got X amount of days. And if I don't come back with my shots, then that's it for another, who knows how long till I'm back there again. If you're going to do photo celibacy, it, I think you need to just go there for a month and explore. I mean, you, you there's no real time there's no clock ticking the same way that it is if you're working, if you still have a full-time job and you got to get home at the end of that. So if mm. you've got like a month or two to just wander and just go up valleys and see what's up there. And I've been so jealous of people like Aaron Bobnick, you know, saying, well, I went and I just lived in the Julian Alps for <laughs> however long she was there. I'm like, how, how nice must that be? You know, to just wander out there in the morning and and head up a valley and find a waterfall that nobody shot before. And now it's like, I this is part of what I'm going to, you know, share when I get back or introduce to a workshop. It must be amazing. But for me, it was like the clock was ticking and I'm either going to Bavaria or I'm going to go to Slovenia or I'm going to go somewhere in one of these 60 places that I had mapped out in the Dolomites. And um and I came back and I was really satisfied with, with my trip because I finally got some conditions. And But I knew that if I went in there as a celibate photographer and didn't look at anything, I'd be, I would have run around in a circle in one area and not, and have missed, you know, the experience of, you know, driving up these crazy roads and hiking to wherever I got to and, and, uh, and having the time in my life. So it's, it's different, you know, different people are going to handle that differently, but I so, think what's going to, if you have more time to just, you know, live in an area like the Eastern Sierras and wake up in the morning and you're there for a month, if you're Josh Cripps and you roll out of bed and you, uh, you know, you're in the Sierras, I think you're going to shoot in a completely different way than me when I'm, you know, I've got two more hours and I got to drive home. So I hear what you're saying. And I lived that way for a long time. So I, appreciate what you're saying, but I want to say that I don't agree with you and I want to challenge some of the assumptions you've made. So you said, I need, I think you said, I need to map all these things out and I need to spend, I need to centralize myself in this area so that I know that if this is happening, I can go here. But I want to go back to this idea of I need to, right? Mm -hmm. When you say that I need to do something, it's predicated on this idea that you have your end result already mapped out, right? And I'm assuming for you, it, it's like probably not specific compositions necessarily, but photographs that had specific atmospherics or conditions or sure, right. or things of that nature. Conditions. I think, yeah, and I would challenge you to say that when you're out in nature as a photographer, if you let go of that need to, to accomplish that result, it doesn't matter how much time you have. You could have an hour, you could have a month, you could have a week. I, mean, I got to tell you, in the last three years of photography, I've done a lot of trips. I've done trips to the Redwoods. I've done trips to the Alvar Desert. I've done tons of trips to Utah, Southern Utah, Eastern Utah, 
you know, and we're talking like three, four days at a time, like not endless amount of time. Sure, sure. I didn't do any research. I just showed up um, and then reacted to what was there. And I'm not saying I created like the best photography on earth, <laughs> but I was happy with the process. You know, it's um, there's something to be said for, I love what you said earlier about um, immersing yourself in the landscape. Right, right. I think there's something to be said for immersing yourself in the landscape and then reacting to it in a way with like a child's mind. Like, mm-hmm. what can I find here that's of interest to me? And like, I'm going to go off in this direction for like 40 minutes and see what I can find. Or I'm going to walk over there. And, and maybe you don't come home with any photographs that are very good, which trust me happens. But I don't think you need to do anything unless your expectation is that you come home with very specific photographs. Mm. Yeah. I think the whole scouting part is, I mean, I had fun doing it. I mean, I planned this trip for, well, I bet. you know, <laughs> and trust me, I've done and that too. I get it. I get it. Part of it was just the fun. Of, I mean, there's a certain element of exploring on Google earth before you even get there. And there's just a curiosity of, right. I, I'm just a natural curious. I'm naturally curious. I just want to see, what what's what's over here i mean i'm most people shoot it from this way but what if i went over here and where's the trail what so those are the kinds of things i was doing but it's almost it is interesting like when you challenge me i feel i feel greedy in some aspects like i don't (laughs) want just one photo right when i come back i want like that i want armfuls of (laughs) photos for my trip and there is a kind of a greed factor to that rather than the artistry of just letting that happen in a more organic way, I think. So I don't know, but still I can't, the whole celibacy thing. Oh, the other thing I was going to relate it to um, is jazz because not to say that again, celibacy is going to be good for some people and maybe not good for other people. But when you're learning to improvise, the number one thing that we would teach our students at the college would be, you've got to listen. You've got to listen to as many different, you know, high level people as possible and um and eventually you're going to hear when when you get those same chords and those same ch- changes you're going to be able to come up with something you know in that moment um and make it yours so celibacy to me is like the opposite of that it's like shutting yourself off from everybody else's photos and not not pulling bits and pieces out of their ideas maybe before you even go up there and maybe maybe one's better one maybe isn't but to me i I, I just think of that as in terms of the music. And I think, why wouldn't you just, you know, spend time looking at people's works that you admire and not copy them? Sure. The one the one comp stomp that I did in my life and enjoyed the hell out of it was um, it was a Ryan Dyer. I think it's a Ryan Dyer shot, but everybody had this thing. Ryan Engstrom, um, Aaron Myers, Willie Wang, all of them had this shot in uh, in Glacier. And it was up on a hillside. There's a tree kind of in the corner and it's facing the east. So it's a sunrise shot. And my Disney buddies and I, when we were first starting out, we tracked this place down and we found it. And um, we got up there and the rain's coming down sideways and there's bears all around us and a <laughs> light goes off. And I tell I, I've never felt more alive in my life at oh, in that moment. I was, I, I was just, I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. Um, but we wouldn't have been there if I hadn't seen 
that shot from Ryan Dyer and thought, I want to go there. Wherever sure. that is, I'm going to find it. I'm going to check it down and I'm going to shoot it. And from that time, I spend less, I'm spending less time trying to find specific, you know, tripod holes and, and yeah. I'm, I'll find areas and then I want to explore and, sure. and use that as a starting point and just, you know, go out and find my own shot if I can. So, yeah. 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 No, it's, um, it's interesting that photo celibacy thing because I kind of do both. I kind of play both teams because <laughs> mm-hmm. I look at a lot of photography, obviously, because of the podcast and everything else. I mean, I, well, it's huge. I mean, how big is our community? I mean, there's, are there, yeah. there has to be hundreds of thousands of landscape photographers. Yeah. 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 Out there. So, I mean, I look at a lot of work, but I also purposely don't look at a lot of work from areas that I'm going to mm. because I don't want to try to chase and I know people will say like, oh, well, just don't do it. But it's like when you see an image and it's like it just speaks to you, you know how it is, man. Like you're just like, I got to go get that shot. You know, it's, mm. um, so I purposely don't do that because I feel like it kind of pigeonholes me into an idea. Um, and I've gotten caught into that trap before. And then you come home and you didn't get the same photo they have and you're pissed off. And <laughs> it's me. <laughs> anyway, so, so for my mental health, like I purposely don't do that because I – I want to just see what I can make on my own and, and, and it's not, it might not be good and that's fine. Like for me, I I have a lot more joy in the process of experiencing those moments and trying to make sense of them um, as opposed to chasing something that may not ever happen. So, and I think there's a fine line between the two, but it's interesting, right? (laughs) I, I, I really, I really want to hear about, I want to hear, you know, six months after you embark on this journey, how how your perspectives will shift, if they will. Yeah, maybe it'll they won't. be interesting. Sure, yeah, and I'm sure it will. And and hopefully, you know, my I'll continue to grow and and gain more experience, and my eye will continue to develop. But um, man, I can't wait to get out there and and do this full time. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm excited for you, man. So yeah. All right, well. Let's wrap this up. Um, I want to learn about who you would recommend uh, for the podcast here. Um, I did have some names and some of these people may have been uh, mentioned before. Bruno Pisani. I, I look at that guy's YouTube. I never miss an episode. And and his drone footage, my gosh, it's just, it's stunning. And I would love to hear you know about his whole process. And he's a mountain climber like you are. Yeah, I've reached and, uh, out a few times. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it would be great to have him on there. And then Noel Kasaji is someone that I've been following for years. Yeah. And he's an LA guy. Like the rest of these people are all Southern California photographers. So his stuff is amazing. Eric Gale um, is one of my shooting buddies. Um, he's had well over 30 years in the industry. He's worked on in the lab, you know, on prints by Galen Rowell and Annie Leibowitz and um he does Photoshop work for Disney and Hollywood companies. And, and he's, you know, he, when Photoshop, he's pre Photoshop and then everything Photoshop since then. So his whole job is just, you know, working with Photoshop, you know, eight hours a day. Um, but he yeah, also, I, um, I was going to say, he's also an avid rock climber. Um, he hung out with people with like um, John Backer in uh, Joshua tree back in the day. Um, he's also a nightscaper who's, you know, he's worked with Royce Bear and, and Wayne Pinkston. 
So, uh, and he's been a presenter at their conferences. So he's, he's got like this huge background and, uh, for Photoshop, you're not going to find, I don't think anybody who's, who's more experienced. I mean, he's, he's just been there from day one. So he's a good yeah. guy. I can't remember. Then, I think, oh, I do remember now, actually. Uh, he reached out to me and said, because of the podcast, he made a connection with Royce Bear and was invited to do the Nightscaper conference. The Nightscaper thing, so, right. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, that's right. He said that. He said, I'm looking for people. And then he, he oh, it may have been David uh, uh, Swindler. Swindler. Oh, yeah. Maybe he's working with David Swindler. Yeah. David yeah, Swindler. yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Like the podcast makes connections for people. Yeah, it's connections. It's really cool. Yeah. And then my other two people, Greg Borton. I'm going with Greg up to Yosemite this weekend. So he's another one of my photography awesome. buddies. He's originally from Poland. And Todd Miller is uh, also from Southern California. I shot with him out in Escalante um, about a year ago. And I just think his stuff is uh, amazing. So those are my those are my folks. Brilliant. Well, man, this has been super fun. Yeah, that was fun. I hope I didn't go too long, like my emails. <laughs> oh, I feel like we probably could have talked for like two or three more hours. Sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, maybe I'll check back in uh, after I've been doing this for a couple of years and, and see if uh, I would I love a it. Different, I, different perspective. I really want to know if it's changed, if it'll change at all. Right. I'd be really curious. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, thank you to William for joining me today on the podcast. You're an absolute champ for being open to debating these subjects, and I really appreciate your perspectives. I'd be willing to bet that the majority of listeners find themselves in your shoes more often than not, and that my thoughts and opinions are probably less appreciated. Either way, I really had fun, and I hope you did too. If you enjoyed this conversation, there's a way for you to debate similar subjects with like-minded photographers by joining Nature Photographers Network. NPN is a very awesome place to engage in thoughtful discourse and receive meaningful critique on your images. NPN is now offering podcast listeners a free 30-day trial to the platform, plus 20% off their first year of membership. Just head over to naturephotographers.network forward slash f-stop or find a link in the show notes to get started with your free trial. I'll see you over there. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.